Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to see you today. So I went to college at Baylor University that was founded by the Republic of Texas. Do I have any other Texans out here? See, us Texans, we are loud and we are proud. Baylor was founded not by the state of Texas. States, come on. Baylor was a, sorry, Texas was was a republic before it was a state, right? We were our own country and we're proud of that, okay? We're proud of that. And while I was at Baylor, I got plugged into really an incredible church while I was there. Uh, I grew up in, in very conservative Baptist church. Think hymnals and choir robes and organs. Anybody else grow up in a church like that? Yeah. So this church, you can clap for that. Way to go. Hey, way, way to break out of your upbringing and clap. Yeah, it's good. That's good. Um, uh, but this church was also a Baptist church, but they would define themselves as being a little bit more spirit-filled of a Baptist church. And it stretched me and it pulled me and it growed me. It grew me up in so many different ways. And I had a lot of friends who were a part of this church and you could look at their life and there was just something different about them. They had a different intensity about their faith. You could see clear movement of God in their lives. And when you looked at them in the eyes, I just remember looking at them in the eyes and getting in a sense that that they had a deep knowledge of a God that I had only scratched the surface of. The only catch was that they had some, some weird habits that they did. Not in the church service, not on Sunday, but weird habits outside of the church. For example, my first year at college on a Friday night, man, it's time to go hang out with your friends. This is going to be a lot of fun. This isn't going to be great. Not at this church. At this church, Friday night was Friday night worship night. So we would do a worship service from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I'm thinking, on a Friday night? We could put this on a different night that might fit better with my social calendar. They would get together in small groups, and we would pray about sharing our faith. We'd all like agree, okay, on Tuesday, we're all going to share our faith at the lunch table with our friends. And I'm thinking, share faith on campus? Isn't that a little bit embarrassing? Wouldn't it be easier to go share faith with somebody we don't know? No, no, no. They were intentional about sharing their faith. But the one that took the cake for me, the most, the most weird thing for me was something they did once a semester, twice a year, and they would call it A-N-P, A-N-P, AMP. And they kept saying, Matt, are you gonna come to AMP this year? You gotta come, it's gonna change your life, it's amazing. What is A-N-P? Well, it's an acronym, and it stands for All Night Prayer. All Night Prayer where well, are we going like, to come and pray for a little bit and then play video games and pray for a little bit and watch a movie and pray? Like, no, 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 no. We're going to get together in the auditorium at church and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our friends who don't know Jesus. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our pastors. We're going to pray for like mission work and, and we're just going to pray all night long. And I'm thinking, I can't pray for five minutes without getting distracted. You want me to pray all night long? I distinctly remember being a teenager, getting annoyed at the dinner table when my dad prayed too long before dinner. It's like, man, did you not have a quiet time this morning? What are we doing praying so long right now? I can't pray all night long. No way, that's not gonna work. And yet, they had this knowledge of a deeper God. And they would keep challenging me, Matt, there's more to life. Don't waste your life chasing a degree. Don't waste your life chasing a job, chasing a relationship, chasing a status, chasing money, chasing a feeling, chasing success. There's more to life than this. These people at this church in Waco, Texas, saw something bigger. And they challenged me to see something bigger. They knew more of God. And it taught me this lesson that has stuck with me for all of those years, and it's this. People who really know prayer 
seem to really know God. Have you ever noticed that before? People who really know prayer seem to really know God. And I want to really, really know God, and yet prayer for me oftentimes can feel clumsy. It can feel mysterious, like I wonder, am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong, and and how does it all work? And yet I've learned that anybody who wants to really know God has to be committed to really know prayer. If we want to know God, we have to learn how to pray for real. But anytime we talk about prayer, any message about prayer, we have to answer the question. We've got to ask, what is prayer? What are we even talking about here? So to kind of explain what prayer is today, I want to invite you to think of the last time that you held a baby. Maybe it was yours. Maybe it was a grandbaby, niece or nephew, friend's baby. Think of the last time that you got to hold a baby. I've got a friend who recently had a baby. He's a new dad. And this, this has been a lot of years of prayer. And I absolutely love watching him be a dad right now. He is just infatuated with this little girl. He loves being in her presence. I love seeing the look on his face whenever he holds her. And I love getting to listen to the things that he says to this baby. He talks about how beautiful she is. Everybody thinks their baby's beautiful, right? But that's okay. He talks about how beautiful she is, about how much he loves her. My favorite is what he calls her. He calls her a strong woman of God. Isn't that beautiful? I'm thinking, she's six months old. She has no idea what you're saying. And she'll yawn and stretch. She'll be like, oh, that's right. You stretch it out, you strong woman of God. Oh, that's right. You take a nap, you strong woman of God. You load your diaper up, you strong woman of God. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, he, she can't understand you. And he goes, yeah, but someday she will. This is interesting. I think back of whenever I had my kids, and I don't know exactly whenever they start understanding the words that we say. Babies start understanding our words, but I know this. They start to be able to understand words long before they can speak, right? Long before they can actually communicate, they are understanding, and they have things to say before they can form the words. I remember my son Uh, He was about a year old, and he was really struggling because he had things he wanted to communicate, but he couldn't make the words yet. And so he'd be sitting in his high chair, super frustrated because he wants more applesauce. And so, like many parents, we started to teach him very basic sign language. And he'd be struggling and kind of crying and all that. We're like, hey, buddy, 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 would you like more food, please? And he'd look at us like, you idiots, more food, please. And you think I'm exaggerating. No, more food, please. <laughs> Buddy, just, just, just kind of take it easy. But babies don't decide to learn how to talk. It's not like one day that baby that you held decides, you know what, I think I'm going to learn how to speak today. They don't decide to learn how to talk. The process of how a baby learns to talk is a parent speaks over that baby every day. Long before the baby understands those words, the baby speak, or the parent speaks to the baby over and over again, slowly and syllable by syllable, that baby learns how to babble. And one magic day, the word yes comes out, or more likely no comes out. <laughs> and then it gets even more special when that baby says, mama or daddy, one of my most treasured possessions My wife caught on video one of the first times that one of my boys said to me, I love you, Danny. Oh, 
Because it wasn't just him saying, more food, please. It wasn't just him communicating what he needed. When he spoke, when we had two-way dialogue and communication, that was opening the pathway for real relationship. Not just him communicating his desires, but it's relationship at that point. So we're talking about prayer today, right? And can you see where I'm going? You don't decide to just learn how to speak one day. You don't decide to just learn how to pray one day. You learn how to pray because God has been speaking to you already. He's been speaking to you long before you even knew what speech was, long before you even could understand his words. He's been speaking to you this whole time. And little by little, syllable by syllable, he wants to teach you how to pray. There's this theologian, his name is Eugene Peterson, and he talks about this concept this way. He talks about the overwhelming previousness of God. And the idea is this, like, if you can think of the very beginning of your memory, God was there before that. If you can think of anything that you learn how to do, anything that happened, God was there before that. And so when you think about what prayer is, prayer isn't us entering into the presence of God. God was already there. Just like a mother is already there with that baby, that baby doesn't know presence apart from the mother. From the first heartbeat, the mother was there. From the first breath, the mother was there. God was with you long before you even knew how to to, to know what presence even means. He was there already. Prayer isn't coming into the presence of God. Prayer is becoming aware of the presence of a God who is already here. What is prayer? Prayer isn't you deciding to start speaking with God. God has been speaking to you already. The overwhelming previousness of God says that God has already started the conversation with you. Prayer is you joining in the conversation that God already started. The definition of prayer that I've been using lately is this. Prayer is becoming aware of the presence of a God who is already here. And it's joining in a conversation that God already started. Prayer is the dialogue between his words and our words. And the purpose of prayer isn't just to communicate what we need. It's not just more food, please. The purpose of prayer is to develop relationship. The purpose of prayer is to develop community, relationship, deep intimacy with God. Anybody who wants to know God. Anybody who wants to be close to God, life-changingly, world-alteringly close to God has to learn to pray, has to learn to become aware of the presence of God, has to learn how to join in the dialogue that God already started. So if that's what prayer is, then how do we pray? Does how we pray matter? Are there certain kinds of prayers that God listens to more than other kinds of prayer? Does it matter? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he said this about prayer. I love this. He says, the prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real thou I speak to. In other words, if you want to know real prayer, real prayer is when you pray to the real God. And real prayer is when you pray from the real self. Real prayer is to the real God. 
and it's from the real us. So the first question we have to wrestle through is, who is the real God? What God are we praying to? And you think, does it really matter? I mean, can't I just whisper a prayer and it's going to find its way to God? Well, that's like thinking I can just push buttons on my phone and it's going to find its way to my wife. Like, who you pray to makes a really, really big difference. We have to know to whom we are praying. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that in my life, I've been guilty of praying to a lot of different gods. Maybe you can relate to some of these. In my life, I've prayed to the karma God before. I call it the karma God because it's the idea that, that when I do good stuff, good stuff should come back around to me. And when people do bad stuff, bad stuff should come back around to them. So I pray, God, would you reward me for my good stuff and would you punish them for their bad stuff? You ever pray to that God? Or maybe you pray to the I wish God. I've prayed to this God. This is the one that says, if I wish upon a star... Doesn't matter who you are, as long as the wish is pure, then your dreams will come true. Anybody pray to the I wish God too? Or maybe the genie God. This one is, is tough for me. The genie God is this idea that if, if I use the exact right words and the exact right phrases with the right inflection of voice, if I say it all the right ways, then God has to be like a genie. He has to follow what I'm asking for because I used all the right things. It's like I'm a magician and I can control him to give, him, to give me my desires. Do you ever pray to the genie God or the Geppetto God? Geppetto, the great puppeteer, Right? This idea that God is, is distant and he's the one who's pulling the strings and all that I am to him is a wooden puppet. And the best that I can do is try to influence this God who is far away. Or maybe there's something in your past that influences who you believe God to be. Maybe it's something you saw in a movie and now whenever you pray, you think of God as a cross between Morgan Freeman and Jim Carrey. <laughs> maybe it's in a book that you read once or a sermon that you saw on TV one time a comment that a friend made. Or maybe it makes it so that your view of God is like the cosmic super cop who's got his radar gun out just ready to bust you. Or that your view of God is some out-of-touch, distant white guy in heaven with a great big beard like Santa Claus. Who are we praying to? Who we are praying to makes a great big difference. Who really, really matters? And remember, if, if prayer is really continuing a conversation that God already started, then we have to start by looking at the words that God already said, right? If prayer is continuing the conversation that God already started, then for us to learn to pray, we have to start off with the words that he already said. This is why scripture is so important when we learn about prayer. Paul knew this. Paul knew that who we are praying to matters so much. So in Ephesians chapter one, Paul teaches us about who God is. So if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians and we're gonna be in chapter one. We're actually gonna be in Ephesians quite a bit this morning. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one and listen to Paul describe to the church in Ephesus about who God is. He says this, starting in verse 17. He says, church, I keep asking that God the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Father, that this God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's saying, I keep praying that God would reveal something to you. Why? So that you may know him better. This whole verse, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you could know God better. Know who it is that you're praying to because who makes a difference. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
And I love this word enlightened because it literally means to shine a light on the truth. Paul is saying, I'm praying that God would shine a light on the truth of who he is. I pray that you would be done with superstition, that you would be done with misinformation, that you would be done with ignorance about who God is, but you could see who he really, really is. And why is it important? Paul continues. He says, I pray that you would know the real God so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Look, if you want real hope, you need to know the real God in whom you hope. You have to know God to know your hope. He says, I pray that you would know the real God so you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people. If you don't know the real God, then all that you see, this time that we have on earth is all that there is. But if you know the real God, you'll realize that the real God actually can can take you all the way into eternity, that you have an eternal inheritance. Paul continues, I want you to know the real God and I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe that it's the same power as the mighty strength he, that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Get this, Paul says, I want you to know that our God has incomparable power, resurrection kind of power, and that that power is actually available working in us. I need you to know the real God that you are praying to. Paul continues that, this, that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, And I just want to push pause because in human logic, this doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense that that Jesus existed in a different uh, reality of heaven, that he came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was dead and buried, and then was resurrected from the grave, lived, walked, and then was taken into heaven again. That makes no sense in human logic. That does not obey the laws of physics. It doesn't obey any laws that we have. Paul says, I need you to know that the real God doesn't play by our rules. He is not bound by time and space. He is not bound by our science. He created our science. I need you to see who the real God is that you're praying to. He continues and talks about the authority of Jesus, that Jesus is far above all rule and authority all power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. Paul says, I need you to know that there is nothing. There is no army. There is no sickness. There is no cancer. There is no power now or power that is to come that is stronger than the name of Jesus, that is stronger than the power of the God that we pray to. Paul, in essence, is saying, quit praying to a fake God. Open your eyes, shine a light on the truth, be done with superstition, be done with ignorance. Quit praying to a fake God. Open your eyes. Our God is infinitely powerful. He is otherworldly huge. He is not governed by time and space. He is everywhere. He sees all. You need to see the grand majesty that is our God. Stop praying to a fake God. And... Paul shows another side of God, that this God is not only huge and, and, and grand and powerful, but he also enormous, has enormous love for us. He is involved in our life. He is incredibly intimate. He is immediate. He is right here accessible. Last week, our friend Albert Tate taught us from Ephesians chapter three about the love of God. From this verse, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people 
to grasp how wide God's love is, that it's wide enough for your brokenness. To grasp how long his love is, that it's long enough to take you into eternity. How high it is that his love is high enough to pull you from earth all the way to heaven. How deep his love is that it's deep enough to Jesus for Jesus to go to the cross to the very depths in order to buy our redemption. That that's this love of Christ. And to know that this love, it surpasses all knowledge, that it is even beyond our ability to comprehend there. We have to know that we pray to a God that is bigger than we can imagine and who loves us unbelievably deeply. We pray to a God, speaking to God in real prayer starts by understanding, by realizing who we pray to. We pray to a God who is otherworldly powerful, that is infinitely bigger, that is completely unchanging, that is intimately close, who is completely compassionate, who is always involved and always active. This God can do more than you can ask or imagine. Quit praying to fake gods. Pray to this God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray to this God. This is who we pray to. So let's come back again. Real prayer is praying to the real God. And real prayer is praying from the real self. Uh, There are two sides to the real self. Paul starts to teach us about that. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul talks to us about who God is, the grand nature, the bigness, all these things about the infinite nature of who God is. And then Paul shifts and says, let me tell you about who you are. And in my Bible, you literally turn the page to Ephesians chapter two. And in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, Paul says this. Now, as for you, that was God. As for you, you were dead. Thanks, bud. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Two sides of praying from the real us. And the first side is we have to see our utter helplessness, frailty, dependence on him. We have to see that without him, we are completely dead. Daniel Hawk is a theologian, and I love this quote that he says. He says, the basic human problem is this. Everybody believes that there is a God, and I am it. (laughs) Daniel Hawk is saying, you are far weaker than you think you are. You are far more frail than you think you are. You are far smaller than you think you are. I often try to pray in the right way to God, and what I think is the right way to God. I often try to pray in in a way that sounds good or maybe makes me sound smart or that suppresses the things that are broken about me, suppresses my emotions or my temptations or my weaknesses, my flaws, my selfishness. Have you ever known somebody who has like a special prayer voice? Think about that. Have you ever prayed with somebody where like they talk normally and then all of a sudden, I've got a friend and and when you go to dinner with this friend, we'll be talking like at the restaurant across the table and, and then whenever it's time for us to pray to our meal, he'll be like, Father... We just thank you so much for this bountiful bread that has been placed before us. Like, what just happened right now? It's like you're a different person. I I feel like I do this all the time. I may not have a special prayer voice, but I try to pretend with God. Like, like try to, to say the right things in the right ways. How silly is it for me to pretend in front of God? If God really is present everywhere, if he really knows my every thoughts, what am I doing trying to pretend with God? That's ridiculous. 
Real prayer from the real self starts when we come out of hiding. Real prayer from the real us starts when we honestly admit the reality of who we are, when we confess who we are, our weaknesses. Real prayer starts when we get humble. And I'm not talking about just like self-deprecation. I'm not talking about heaping about how terrible we are. Humility, the essence of humility is reality. Humility is just naming the reality of who we are. This is just the reality. This is who I am. And it's naming the reality of who God is and recognizing the great gap between who I am and who God is. Real prayer starts when we're actually humble. James in chapter four says it this way. He says, come near to God. Like, come out of hiding. God's already here. Come out of hiding. Come near to God and you'll see him come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Admit it. Just be honest. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just be honest. Admit it that you have desires that pull you this way and desires that pull you that way. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then the kind of the thesis of this passage, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Name the reality of who you are and who God is. Humble yourselves before the Lord and see how he will lift you up. See how he will lift you up. God's invitation to us is this. Bring the real you to the real me and watch me show up in your world. Two sides of the real us. First is recognize our utter dependence on him. But the second side is recognizing who we are in Jesus. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter one. In verse four, Paul starts to teach us about who we are as well. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He says, don't forget, you are chosen. And you are now holy. You are blameless. No matter what you have done, God sees you as holy and blameless. You have been chosen. In love, he predestined us to be adopted. Predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. The two sides, you've got to realize that you are both far weaker than you could ever imagine. And yet you are chosen, you are adopted, you are called a son because of who he is. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, you are blameless now. We pray in Jesus' name because it's his work of why God hears us. It's because of what he did. It's his mercy of why God can hear us right now. It's the grace we don't deserve. Paul is saying, never forget that you've been chosen, that you are blameless, that you are loved, that you are a chosen child of the heavenly father. Never forget that you are powerful, that you are are strong, that you are the chosen warrior of the king. You are far more weak than you think you are, and yet you are far more powerful and treasured than you could ever imagine. Real prayer. Real prayer is us being real about who we are. Real prayer is us bringing our real self with all of our real needs, our real desires, our fears, our doubts, our hopes, into the real presence of a real God. It's recognizing that we are adopted children of the heavenly father who was present first, who spoke to us first. Real prayer is an invitation to not just communicate your needs and say, more food, please. Real prayer is an invitation to begin a relationship with God. But in a message about prayer, I think it would be wrong for me to talk about prayer and not talk about the times whenever we bring the real us to the real God 
and he feels silent. Or you bring the real you and your real needs to him and it feels like maybe he's not listening. And you don't see things that actually change and you wonder, God, are you actually hearing me? Am I really your child? Are we okay in this relationship? As I was researching for this talk, I came across a story of an old preacher who was sitting on a park bench. And as he was sitting on this park bench, he saw a young father and his preschool-aged son walking down the city street, looking in the shop windows. And the little boy kept on pointing things out in the shop windows, saying the things that he wanted, the things that he needed. And it was just so clear by the look on the young father's face that the father was loving every minute of it. And at one point, the father was just overcome, and he reached down and scoops that little boy up on his arms and gives him a great big hug, kisses him on the cheek, whispers words in his ear, in his ear, squeezes him tight, and then puts him back down again. And the little boy keeps walking and pointing at things in the shop windows that he wants or that he needs, and the father just stands back and smiles. Can I ask you a question? Was that little boy any more of a son when he was scooped up in the father's arms? Was he more loved whenever the father was holding him close? On the other side, was he less of a son when the father put him down? Was he less loved when the father was just walking by his side? My friends, just because you don't feel enveloped in God's arms right now, just because you don't feel swept up in the emotion, it does not mean that God is not here. It does not mean that he does not love you. It does not mean that he's not listening to you. Just because your situation isn't changing doesn't believe that God isn't moving. Just because you don't see change doesn't mean that God isn't active. In my life, I've actually seen that there are times where where I think God allows me to walk through hardship simply to just push me closer to him in prayer. Because the point of life isn't for me to just avoid pain. The point of life is for me to know God more. And the point of prayer isn't just for me to ask for more food, please. The point of prayer is for me to develop a deep relationship with God. He is still working. We have a loving heavenly father who is teaching you to speak, who is inviting you to become aware of his presence because he is already here. He is inviting you to join in the conversation that he has already started. He wants you to speak to the real God from the real you. And he promises to do real work in our heart and in our world. So for us to close today, I'd like for us to practice this a little bit. Praying to the real God who is here from the real us. In a few moments, I'm gonna give you a chance to come and pray down front as well. So as we do this, I just invite you, everybody, to bow your head, close your eyes. If you're watching online at home, if you're in the atrium uh, at one of our regional campuses, just bow your head and close your eyes. And the first thing I invite you to do as we enter into an attitude of prayer right now is to pray, God, make me aware of your presence. Pray, make me aware that you are powerful, unchanging, intimate, compassionate. Make me aware.
Second invitation is for you to bring the real you to God right now. To say, God, this is me. Would you work in me? The place where you need wisdom, the job, the relationship, the trauma, the addiction, the healing, the doubt. Bring it to him. Now, there are some of you in this room, some of you at home, some of you in the atrium that I know are wrestling with some huge things. Some of you would say, I am so tired of praying to a fake God. I'm so tired of praying from my fake self. And today it needs to change. Today, I desperately need the presence of God to work in my life. Maybe you've prayed for the same thing a thousand times and you're saying, God, today I want it to be different. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you specifically. So I'm gonna ask you to just do something bold. If that's you, if you would say today is the day that it needs to not be the fake me to the fake God, but, but I desperately need God's work in my life in this area. If that's you, I just wanna challenge you to stand up. Stand up right now and I wanna pray for you specifically. If, if you desperately need God to work in you, yeah, I see you standing. Say and stand up and I'll pray for you specifically. I see you standing. I see you standing. Yep, stand up, stand up. I see you standing. Stand up in the atrium, stand up at home. I see you standing. Now, everybody else with your eyes closed, if you're standing, would you just look at me? He sees you. Just because you may not feel him, it does not mean he is not working. He hears you. God, I pray for everybody standing wherever they are right now. I pray that you would overwhelm them with your goodness. God, would you, would you move in their life? Would you open their eyes to your presence? Would you meet them in their real self? For everybody else in the room, in a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna pray. And when we say amen, our team is gonna start leading us in a time of worship. And I've got people all down front in the mezzanine. We've got people in the back in the atrium. We have people there as well who would love to pray with you. If you're holding something in prayer, I challenge you to come forward and let somebody else join you in that. Let somebody else joining you and reminding you of who the real God is. Let somebody else join you in pleading that that God would show up. So if you need prayer, the second we say amen and the band starts to sing, I encourage you, come down or go to the back. People will be there to pray with you. Let's pray. God, would you move? Thank you that you are already here. Thank you that you are already doing things in this church. We are desperate for you, desperate for your movement. So God, please see the real us and please respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.